What's up, coaches? How you doing? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaches and nationally linked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. Family-owned and operated with a customer service first mentality, Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. Visit www.sidelinepower.com. You can email them, info at sidelinepower.com, or you can give them a call, 800-496-4290. This episode is also brought to you by Powerlift. Again, we don't just like Powerlift because of their powerful name. Uh, We also use Powerlift at Broken Arrow and Ankeny High School to design both of our facilities. They not only have a great product, but they've got a bunch of good dudes there, just like a former guest, J.R. Conrad. Uh, They're not trying to sell you anything that you don't want or won't be helpful for your program. They love football. They know football. They've been around it, and they want to help you make your football team as good as they possibly can in the weight room. Powerlift is a trusted program that has designed the University of Oklahoma, University of Iowa, Baylor University, and modern-day high school's weight facility just in the uh, past few years, along with many, many more. Let Powerlift take your unique needs and use them to design your state-of-the-art facility. From concept to completion, choose Powerlift. Powerful ideas, powerful results, and, as always, made in the USA. Go check out Powerlift at power-lift.com. And last but not least, As always, this episode is brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents guaranteed. Visit Team Attack Academy at teamattackacademy.com. As always, guys, we like to keep our content free. We want to keep giving it to you guys. The only way we can do that with with the cost of having these podcasts is to bring on these awesome sponsors, and we're only bringing people that we truly believe in. We've got family-owned and operated. We've got guys we trust. We've got uh, businesses that we use. So uh, go check them out. Help the podcast. Help yourself out. We're only going to bring companies that we trust and that will really benefit you. So go check out all of our sponsors. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Super Bowl winning coach, Press Taylor. Coach Taylor is the quarterback's coach for the world champion Philadelphia Eagles. Prior to Philadelphia, Coach Taylor was a quarterback's GA and roommate with Coach Walls at the University of Tulsa. Listen as we talk with Press about winning a Super Bowl, coaching Carson Wentz and Nick Foles, and game planning and practice planning with the Eagles. You can follow Coach Taylor on Twitter, at Press Taylor. Hope you guys enjoy. We're going to kind of let you tell your story. Uh, our listeners are, are fired up to, to have you on yep. here. Um, obviously it's, it's a cool deal for, you know, cause a lot of our guys that listen, we, we get a ton of, of ops guys, a ton of GAs, you know, they're, yeah. they're the kind of guys that, that want to know how you climb the ladder. And obviously, Press, you're a bright dude, and, and you've, you've done it. And, and congratulations. I haven't really had a chance to tell you, man. But, you know, getting the, yeah. the quarterback job at the Eagles, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Thank you very much, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it was – the coach I'm in, shoot, I was, I was just like a lot of guys in I'm coaching. I, I wasn't good enough to keep playing, but wanted to stay around the game. So, coaching was kind of my path. Um, and really – once I finished, I started looking for a GA job. I, you know, applied to grad school at OU and Texas A&M and places I thought, you know, I could, if I got an opportunity, I'd already be in school. It would help me, help me get one of those GA spots. And then uh, knew some guys in Tulsa, and one of them said, there's not an opening now, but there's going to be in the summer. This was like spring right after I finished playing. And uh, 
So I emailed Blankenship and said, he had just gotten the job, and I said, yeah, I'd love to do whatever I can for you, get coffee, uh, clean the dry erase boards, whatever I can do. And he, I sent this long email. He just responds, come see me. So the next morning, I'm in Norman at the time. The next morning, I get in my car, show up at 8 a.m., sitting in, the, in front of Mickey, the secretary, Brady, you remember her? Absolutely. And she said, do you have an appointment? I was like, no, nah, not really, but he just told me to come see him. And so I sat in, talked to him, told him my story, all that. And he put me in with uh he's like yeah you can you're more than welcome to volunteer your time and hang out and do whatever you can and so uh i started working with blair Philbrook at the time who was our dfo which is kind of his assistant hanging around doing whatever i could got involved with camps when the summer came around and then uh the ga at the time that was coaching quarterbacks was james killian mm-hmm. and james left to go to lsu to be with uh steve steve crackthorpe who he played for mm-hmm. uh and so at that time, I'd been helping out for three or four months, whatever it was, and Coach Blankenship uh, wanted to give me that opportunity to slide into the GA quarterback role. So kind of how I got going there, and it, it was just uh, – it was awesome for me working with Coach Blank. And he gave me quite a bit of responsibility, which was pretty cool working with quarterbacks, um, especially, you know, being one year removed from playing and all that. But I'd played in the same conference and stuff like that. So that was pretty cool getting to uh, – you know, game plan against teams that I was familiar with for the last two years, spending my time at Marshall. Uh, and then from there, I just uh, had a chance to meet Chip Kelly when he was still in his last year at Oregon. It was the summer before he was in his last year at Oregon. Met him while I was hanging out at my brother's uh, office down at the Dolphins at the time. And then uh, finished my second year at Tulsa. Uh, I'm trying to think of the timeline. I guess it was January, February, whatever it was. Chip took the job in Philly. And between him and another guy that was a GA with him in Oregon that he'd taken to Philly, they were talking about how they envisioned their staff, uh, had a quality control role. They envisioned him being a young guy that could, you know, grow into a coaching position, however that looked for them. And between the two of them, somehow my name came up. They called me, said, would you be interested? I, of course, said yes. <laughs> pretty sure pretty sure I quit going to grad school classes at that time. I mean, they hadn't even offered me a job yet. <laughs> and I, but I just said I'm not going. To, I'm not going to school anymore. Uh, I hope this thing works out. Because if it didn't, I probably would have been put on like some sort of academic probation. So <laughs> worked out well, and I got a chance to go up there. Started. Uh, so that was 2013. That was my first year there, and we made the playoffs, and things were great. We were, you know, changing NFL football at the time, and uh, and then things quickly went south, and. They that staff we were all let go in 2015. I was fortunate enough to be under contract to be a quality control and got a chance to stay on with Coach Peterson. So started plugging away. Spent two years as the uh, assistant quarterback coach, and then our quarterback coach after the Super Bowl had a chance to go be the office coordinator for the Vikings. And Coach Peterson called me that night. It was the night after the parade, which was unbelievable experience in itself. And so got a chance to become the quarterback coach. So fired up to be working with Carson Wentz and Nick Foles and Nate Sudfeld in our quarterback room. Keep learning from Coach Peterson. I I think it's nuts. I mean, you know, all, all that stuff is is just crazy. But I think it's also really cool that, you know, one of the guys that was in your room was G.J. Kinney, who you coached at Tulsa, yeah. right? Yeah. And then Nate Sudfeld was a guy that we were recruiting at Tulsa yeah. really, really hard. So, yeah. to me, it's interesting that, that those, those paths end up crossing again and, and now you end up kind of coaching those dudes. Exactly. And then Dane, so Dane was a part yeah. of one of those first recruiting classes and we had a chance to bring Dane Evans up. Uh, he was with us through rookie camp and then a little bit through uh, preseason. He played into preseason for us uh, this past year. So yeah, I've, I've crossed paths with a bunch of those guys. And there's a bunch of guys too that, that just saw kind of through the recruiting process. Obviously it was GA, so you just got to watch their tape and then get to go see them all in person. But you know, a lot of those Davis Webb, Baker Mayfield, mm-hmm. those guys are guys I remember recruiting out of texas or you know maybe maybe recruiting maybe just sending one email to and then they were a lot bigger than tulsa at the time so well coach we've had a lot of guys we've had a lot of guys on talk about you know ga in college or quality control in college but uh none that have have done that sort of a role in the nfl so i'm kind of curious and and i don't know of anyone else that has has ever done that so kind of what is that what did it entail for you while you were doing that uh with the eagles yeah, it, it's really similar. I mean, it, it's a lot like being a GA. Uh, I'd say the one difference is with with the league, 
um, you know, we, we don't have any, you're not recruiting. Now you, you do spend that time scouting, like in the off season, we're scouting and, uh, we're watching free agency. We go through a period of free agency and then we go through a period of evaluating college guys coming out for the draft. So that's kind of our recruiting, but that's two to three months. You know, we have a scouting department that handles it the rest of the year. So in season, it's, it's all ball all the time. You're not chasing recruits, looking at tape, evaluating guys like you have to do in college. So. From a standpoint of just learning X's and O's and game planning and scheming, and uh, from that standpoint, the NFL is awesome because it's it's 24/7 all football. And so, so for me, being in the room, you know, sitting in the corner of the room, keeping your mouth shut, taking notes, it's it's a dream come true for somebody. Um, but at the same time, I'm I'm putting together playbooks, I'm putting together uh, video pass drawings every single night, you know. Uh, 40 play insults going in the next morning, you got to get done. And so, so there's still the same task that you probably have as a GA, but I would say from a learning standpoint, it is accelerated more. So I remember driving around Tulsa, uh, our campus at Tulsa in the, the golf cart we had checking on classes. You know, that's not something we're doing. It's, this is their job. They, our guys are in the building, you know, their work day, I guess is eight to five. Obviously a lot of guys are in before and after that, but. It's their job. You're not chasing anybody around doing anything like that. So you're just talking football, watching football, and around guys that love ball. So it's awesome. Coach, what's it what's it like? You know, a little bit differently as far as coaching style. You know, having to coach grown men. I mean, obviously you've got a few younger guys, but you're also going to have some of those. You know, eight, ten, twelve year vets. You know, no. explain some of the difference between you know having to chase your high school guys around, coaching your college guys, and now you're having to to do the guys that do it for a living. Well, one of, one of the big things I think is, you know, I, I've thought about it a couple of times. Uh, it's really a scheme league. There's, there's not a lot of times I'm sitting there talking mechanics with Carson. Now there are some things where we're talking to, in the off season, obviously we're focusing on things like that, but there's not a lot of guys that come in and I have to teach how to throw, how to take a drop. We have to teach how to do things for the most part. Now there are some instances that would surprise you, but for the mm-hmm. most part, these guys know what they're doing. They come in ready to play. We pick guys that they do what we want. So, from a standpoint of teaching skills and fundamentals, I mean, it, it's probably from that standpoint, maybe easier than high school. High school, you got Billy that shows up and has never played football in his life and just wants to be part of the team. You have to teach all that. So that, that right there, I have all the respect in the world for high school, college coaches, youth coaches, whatever it is, because you're having to do that. But, uh, you know, these guys, it's, it's their job. And if you can help them perform well, they know their, they know that you know, what you're talking about can help them play better and ultimately earn a paycheck and win games and continue their careers. And then they're all on board. Uh, and, and it is, it's a job for them. So, so they're all in, they're going to take it serious. Now I think that the, the hard part of our job at the end of the day is these guys all make more money than us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's not the case in, in any other division of football, but uh, that's the way it is here. But for the most part, everybody that I've been around, these guys, these guys all want to, their, their number one goal is to get better. So if you can help them get better, they're all on board with what you got to say. Now, they, they know their stuff, too. I mean, there's guys that, like you said, have 12-year bets. They've heard it inside and out. They've seen it inside and out. So they're going to hit you with the question every once in a while, what do I do if I see this pressure out of this guy? And that's something we haven't thought about because we haven't seen that in four years. Well, this guy saw it in year two of his 14-year career, whatever it may be. So you got to have an answer for stuff like that. But Again, that's where it comes back to. It's 24-7 ball for us, so we get a chance to go through a lot of those things. And you get guys that they're not necessarily combative, but they, they want to know the answer. They, they do a great job of bringing up suggestions or having answers themselves that they present to you. And so that's kind of where the partnership of coach and player comes together there and making sure you have uh, – I guess you've uncovered every, every bone of a play or a protection, whatever it may be. So as long as you're on your stuff, these guys – these guys are great to work with because they're so smart and so dialed into it. Coach, you, you hear all these stories about, you know, in the NFL, they've got, they've all got iPads. They've all got, you know, different ways that they're doing their playbooks. Um, kind of, what are some of the, you know, maybe it would be cool for us, some of the cool technology that you guys are, you guys get to use in the NFL that, you know, maybe a lot of high school, um, high school teams don't get to use as far as, you know, even as small as like, I've heard that there's a lot of teams that use the iPad for their playbooks and things. So what are, what are some of those, you know, cool things that you guys are able to employ at the Eagles? 
Yeah, I mean, one of the big things is the, having our own sports science department. So stuff like that. We have, you know, Nike will send you the glasses and stuff that have, uh, it's basically like a shutter lens. So we're sitting there in the special teams period, and Alshon Jeffries over on the side, he's wearing the shutter glasses, catching balls, training his eyes, stuff like that. That That's kind of the technology that, you know, uh, I don't want to say our resources are endless, but for the most part, if there's something we need that can help a player get better, then uh, – you know, that, that's something that they're willing to go out and get for us. Um, and then the iPad's obviously a big use for the, for us. Now, at the same time, some of these guys are millionaires. They have uh, Exos sure. room set up in their house, you know, so that's obviously <laughs> a little different. Uh, and then we have stuff we had, like, uh, we had something at one point called Axon, which was like a brain training game. And it was really like a video game, but we had monitors in our, in our building, really in the meeting rooms that was – uh, specific for this Axon deal and it would you could basically film I think they used at the time like a junior college out in Arizona they'd film a defensive look and it would ask you a question okay is this an over and under is this cover three cover four how's the rotation coming on this play whatever it is and you could get it to where the, the game just went faster and faster so and it would be filmed from like say a slot receiver standpoint. So hmm. a slot receiver seeing a cap safety, whatever it may be, and the game gets faster and faster. And he's having to answer. Am I facing press? Am I facing off? Is this guy over my head about the blitz? Like there would be multiple choice answers, and and you'd spit out faster and faster. And that was that was something we were big in uh, early on in my NFL career. Probably not as much recently, but stuff like that that kind of comes and goes. And uh, certain guys eat it up and they love it. And there's certain guys that they prepare the way they're prepared forever. It's been good for them. Uh, that's what they're going to do. So you get to see stuff like that, which is really cool. I've gotten to sit in on a lot of virtual reality presentations and uh, stuff like that's pretty cool to be exposed to. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I could pick and say this is the best thing. You know, everybody kind of does their own deal and what works for these guys, we try to get available for them or they have already made it available themselves somehow. So hmm. it's cool though. It's cool to see. Now press, I, I'm, I've always interested now you, you're getting into the league and you're going to install a play. Um, where do you start? Are you starting with the route or are you starting with the protection for the guys first? I mean, what, what's kind of your progression in teaching an entire play? You know, I'd, I'd, I'd always be wondered if you teach progression or you teach, you know, protection more, a little bit more in the league just because of the looks you see and the, the yeah. level of athlete? Or are you still teaching it from a progression level and then worry about the protection second? We really – we try to start with the protection first. So we kind of okay. break it up differently. Well, we'll do, we'll do – uh, our offensive line coach will kind of – we've been – we just kind of started back in our off-season program on Monday. So we've started – we call it in the morning like our protection summit, which is just mm -hmm. a fancy name for a meeting. We just try to make it sound cool. <laughs> so we do I that like and we go through – he goes through the, the basics of our, our jet protection to begin with. You know, day yep. one protection, probably 75% of our drop back comes out of jet protection. So we really sit in there. It's myself, the quarterback. Uh, the all, all the offensive linemen and then any uh, tight end or, or running back that's not in a special team that day, they sit in that meeting. And then we'll circle back and get it all together. But for the most part, we're starting protection. I mean, we got to be protected to get a play going. Mm -hmm. And then when we go to our install meeting, it goes with our, our runs because the offensive line's in there. We'll kick the we'll, – we'll go runs, then we'll go screens. The offensive line will we'll leave. They'll go over – in a lot more detail, the same runs, the same screens, maybe hit the protections again, and then we'll go through with the skills. We'll go through the pass install, and we're just teaching concepts. I mean, we'll on the page it says this is this protection with this play, but we're just teaching the concept because at yeah. that point not everybody needs to be dialed in the protection. And then we'll go back when we split up into individual meetings. We will uh, go back and we'll go over. So when I get up there with the quarterbacks, we're going to go over the protection. First, foremost, answer every question anybody has. Then we're going over our run sheet. Then we're going over our passes and our reads and our, our decision-making footwork, all that type of stuff there. Awesome. I love it. I was, I was, I was asking you then about, okay, what, what, I know you guys have kind of probably been on the forefront as far as RPOs are concerned too. Where, where does that kind of fall into the, the scheme as well? Yeah, that, that was stuff. Um, you know, obviously there was a bunch of us that got – retained when coach Peterson came in from chip staff. So that was stuff we were familiar with and he brought in a couple college coaches at the time. Um, so that was stuff we were open to. 
Doug was very open to stuff like that, Coach Peterson. Um, but really, that that still stems off, you know, if it's our pin and pull scheme, if it's our mid zone scheme, whatever it is, we're going to teach the mid zone scheme first, mm-hmm. and then we're going to teach. Okay, step two. Here's the RPO. If we add this tag on the backside of it, we're going to block big on the backside. We're going to read the backside bump backer, and then you know. But it all stems off the base pin and pull, the base inside zone, mid zone, whatever it is. Here's how we block it first. Now we have this tag. It becomes the RPO. Quarterback's going to read this defender at this spot. However, that goes there, but it, it becomes so. Day one is basic mid zone uh, install. Then day two is going to be the RPO version. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Coach, it seems like you guys. Uh, I've got the. I think it's the NFL All Access or something. But anyway, anyways, you, I get to watch the All 22 film, and and the crazy part yeah. to me is. Uh, you watch some of these defenses, and it's like they come out in what seems like a completely new defense from week to week. Or sometimes yeah. they've got um, – it's like they're unbalanced. Their front is to one side. It doesn't make any sense. Something I don't see in high school. You know, everyone's fairly gap sound. Yeah. I'm sure they've got ways to get to it. But the stuff that I've never seen that I'm sure they're, they're you know, breaking out just random times. So is that something that you guys have, have got to wrap a lot of looks that – you know, just kind of guessing, hey, we might be getting certain looks that we haven't seen yet? Or is a lot of times it, it's kind of more stuff that they've done, it's just they've done it three or four years ago? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of that. If, if it's a well-known coordinator, um, we'll go back into, you know, the way we were built this past year in terms of our offensive staff. There was four or five of us that had been together since 2013. Uh, Frank Reich, our offensive coordinator at the time, had been in a couple different spots, and then Coach Peterson had been in Kansas City before. So we would go in a lot of times if we played, um, say, Bob Sutton at Kansas City, his D coordinator in Kansas City, we'd go back and we may look at how he played against Frank Reich when Frank was at uh, either the Colts or the Chargers before. We'll look at stuff like that because Frank's going through his notes against that and saying, hey, we were really concerned with this pressure here, you know. You kind of you kind of start to get into the history of what that coordinator has done against one of our guys in the past, or what you had in your notes. So we like to think we uncover everything we've ever seen out of this guy. But but like you said, I mean, it's really it's third down. Third down is a very exotic down in terms of pass mm-hmm. rush. We're fortunate to have such a smart quarterback and smart center that they can essentially change any protection we have to get us picked up based on what they see, or they just fall back on their fundamentals in terms of. Here's day one teaching in this protection. Uh, we'll identify who, you know, you, you get a lot of the walk-around defensive linemen in the third down packages. So when push comes to shove, Von Miller, yeah, he might be standing at Mike linebacker depth in the middle of the field, but he's a rusher. Right. So our center knows, hey, I'm going to make him down. They've got two linebackers standing on the end of the line, and Vaughn's walking around. Well, I'm going to make Vaughn down. We're going to put down one of these two rush guys that we think is a threat, but one of them has to, you know, our center is kind of piecing that together with help from the quarterback or, and the quarterback ultimately has the trump card. So if he feels like, Hey, I need to worry about these guys right now. I got this answer in the concept and he'll get to that. But that is stuff that we, we try to uncover everything we can, but you're always going to see something, whether it's one play, whether it's they found something they want to go to that week against you. Uh, you're going to see something you haven't seen. And we kind of just hope that not hope. We know that we've put our players in a position to fall back on their fundamentals and get back to, to their day one understanding of protection and make the right call and put us in a good situation. And that's something, too, our guys, it being a job and as much time as they spend in the building, they know this thing inside out, too, so they know what to get back to uh, when things are getting a little, little fuzzy on third down or whatever it may be. Press, can you talk a little bit about kind of how you guys game plan? Obviously, you don't have to go into tremendous detail, but maybe yeah. how you break it up, you know, when you guys do first and second down, when you're doing third down, red zone, all that stuff. I think, you know, a lot of our coaches ask a lot of those questions. I know there's a million ways to skin a cat, but who better to ask than the Super Bowl champs, man? Yeah, I, and there's no saying we did everything right, but uh, obviously we had, a, we had a good system we felt like, and uh, we really stuck with it. You know, first year was seven and nine, but – we felt like we were doing things the right way, and then last year we were fortunate enough to, to, like you said, become Super Bowl champs. But it was a good system for us with the way we all worked together. But so on Monday, uh, it was kind of we we watched the Sunday night, the Sunday game, whatever it was, and put that to bed around lunch. 
and then we start rolling on to uh, the next one. So for the most part, Monday is kind of get a feel. So you're watching a lot of those guys. Everybody's writing down their thoughts from uh, a matchup standpoint. Uh, saw a bunch of teams have success doing this against these guys. This is similar to what we have. Things we did well the week before or things we practiced that didn't come up. So we're getting our ideas put together. Mm-hmm. And then about Monday night, um, kind of our run division, our running back coach, tight ends coach, offense coordinator, offensive line coach, they've kind of got their their general run plan together. And things are always subject to change. But, so they start getting that together with formations. We've started start putting together our past thoughts. Um, kind of from our past division, whether that being also the offense coordinator and then our head coach is heavily involved and in, he's obviously our play caller. So he's yeah. extremely involved in all the game planning as well. And then receivers coach, everybody's getting together to get all these ideas. And then we're trying to play off from the past game. We're trying to play off what works well with the run game. So if they want to be in this formation, they feel like this gives them a uh, great advantage this week in terms of matchups, in terms of, uh, fronts we, we plan to see, pressures we plan to see, whatever it may be, then we will build our pass game off that. So we've started to put together concepts, thoughts, uh, and then we'll build our formations to mirror our run game. So that's Monday's essentially base, which is first and second down. And then Tuesday we'll start to finalize a lot of that. And really with our with our pass game, like Monday we want to get in our concept thoughts. We'll start to put formations on, on paper, but our formations are really fluid throughout the week. So it may be this was the formation we drew this play in. We really want to get this play run. Now let's start to get uh, certain guys in spots to do what they do well. So this concept has a through route. Well, let's make sure that our speed is at the through route. Somebody mm-hmm. that can really roll, we need them there. So we'll start to massage formations to match that. That's kind of Tuesday. That's fine-tuning the base plan. Um, and then we start to get into our – Red, we start to get in a third down on Tuesday night. That will, uh, that'll be installed to the players. So I'm trying to think of our timeline here now, now that I'm a couple months out of season. <laughs> our players come in, players come in Tuesday. That's really just kind of, we'll introduce some thoughts. Um, and we'll, we'll give them formations. Hey, here's what we expect to see when we line up in this formation. We expect to see this front. Uh, but they know when they come in Wednesday morning, now we're going to have our base plan ironed out, and it's about 95% locked in. Uh, so Wednesday, we introduce that to them. Tuesday we inter- or Thursday, we introduce third downs, and then Friday is our red zone. Um, and then throughout the process, we're hitting certain situations. We may introduce our, our two-minute package, and for the most part, like anybody, that's carryover week to week. This is what we do in two-minute. But we start putting our four-minute plan, our backed-up plan, um, Married with our red zone plan is our two-point plays. Just basically all, all those situations. Then we start to get into our first 15 on Friday night. I think he put that together. And so Saturday morning we're rolling on that. So our process is probably, I would imagine, pretty similar to most uh, with base being our first and second down thoughts on really get finalized Tuesday night. Wednesday night is, we call it nickel. It's really third down. And then mm-hmm. Thursday night being red zone and Friday night being openers or first 15, however you want to look at that. Coach, a lot of the game plan um, in college and high school, as you know, you know, depends on a lot, you know, which hash are you on because they are so much wider. Um, You know, obviously in the NFL, they're, they're much closer in. So is there a big, big change in being left hash and middle, or is it they're so close that um, it gets more to where it's just a, a scheme. It doesn't really matter if it's on a hash. Yeah, I mean, there's there's still an emphasis. There's still a lot of plays that, okay, we're going to run this version into the boundary, this version into the field. And it may be because it's a seven-yard difference, a guy running a corner route into the boundary, or a corner and go into the boundary versus into the field. Um, so there, we do keep an eye on it, but it's not like it would be in college. I mean, uh, you know, if we set a tight end to the – if we're in a two-by-two two and set an attached tight end to the field, that's still a tendency. We still have our tendencies. That's kind of raises flags for the defense. So, we know that as well. But, um, yeah, I, I'd say that's probably not quite as big a deal as it would be in college just because we do feel like we're always in the middle of the field. And then, and then my other, you know, kind of question when it comes to run game is, 
uh, you know, we've been studying North Dakota State a bunch. And so, you know, they've got their, their base plays, however many that is. And it seems like those are the plays they run every week. And, and you know, and then I went to Rice and kind of studied Rice and Stanford because they came over from Stanford. And it seemed like they had 18 different scheme runs for each team. And you only saw, you know, I saw power every, every game. But for the most part, they had brand new run plays, it seemed like, for, for every team they played. And, you know, they, yeah. they only ran those plays against those certain teams. So, you know, kind of right. curious with, with you guys how you run it. How many – and I know it won't be completely this many scheme runs, but do you guys have a lot of scheme runs or is it is it kind of a minimum scheme run and you guys are going to kind of run more, you know, your, if you will, bread and butter stuff and then sprinkle yeah. in a couple of schemes? Uh, I would say for the most part, that was probably the biggest development for us this year, as opposed to uh, our first year together in 2016, was we did become a team that ran a bunch of different schemed runs. So, like, I'm thinking back to our first playoff game against Atlanta. I think our first 12 runs, it was 10 different run schemes. So we felt like we just had them spinning because we're showing all these formations and running all sorts of different stuff. I mean, you saw plays that, I remember running in middle school. We ran we ran the, the tackle trap essentially with our slot receiver coming out of a bunch. We faked the toss and ran the underneath trap uh, yep. to Nelson Aguilar for a 20-yard gain. That was something we were all laughing all week because that's something we all ran in middle school. We all ran in high school. Um, but it was just, for us, just being very diverse, having all sorts of different looks. We, we were real big in the trap game this year, which was a huge, very efficient run for us. Uh, and kept people off guard and then kept people, you know, very, very worried about their interior part of their defensive line and allowed us to get to our pin and pull, allowed us to get some toss crack stuff. So for us, being pretty diverse in the run game was a big part of our success this year. And then mixing in RPOs uh, and being able to stick with our bread and butter, you know, being able to run the pin and pull inside zone, mid zone, and then mixing the RPOs. We felt like we had people guessing a lot of times and uh, you know, it's just a big thing for us is you get you got to do everything you can to stay one step ahead. So having a, a diverse, um, wide variety of runs, I guess you could say, was was a big factor for us, I think, in having success in the run game. Coach, what were your most efficient RPOs that you guys ran this year? What would you say? Um, you know, our big one was just we, we really got the inside zone throwing um, – now, we, we kind of mixed up what we were doing on the backside, throwing slants and throwing Omahas, which is just quick outs for us. Yep, yep. Uh, reading the down back or reading the down safety. Uh, that, that was probably a big one. And in the past, we kind of stayed away from the inside zone stuff just because it's hard. You know, you, we, we get our, our double teams downfield pretty quick. And in the NFL, the rule's really one yard, so, so they're kind of sticklers for that. Uh, so we got to some of that, but I'd say our bread and butter RPO is just the mid zone. Um, we, we really did a two by two or three by one, but the mid zone reading backside backers and just kind of throwing a replace slant behind it was probably our most effective one. And the one we, we probably went to the most. And then did you guys have a plan? I know we, we just got back from, from Nebraska and I know they, yeah. they'd kind of flipped up some of their RPOs. And by the way, coach Shenander, coach Dawson and coach Austin told me to say, what's up to you. Oh yeah. They those said, guys are the best. <laughs> they're, they're studs, but, uh, they said they kind of also had to switch into, you know, as much man coverage as you see. And obviously in the NFL, that's pretty much all man coverage. You right. know, have you guys had to go to more man beater concepts with your RPOs? Because, you know, it allows them to, to stack the box, gain yeah. the one-man advantage. You know, what's yep. some of the stuff you did there to, to kind of combat some of the man, man looks you're seeing? We definitely had. We definitely had to do that. You know, um, and that kind of helps throwing slants. You, you, yep. We really couldn't throw bubbles. You know, bubble was kind of the in vogue thing early on uh, against zone teams. That's great. But then mm-hmm. everybody's answer is just play single high, man you up, throw a bubble, and you're throwing against, you know, your guys catching a route running two yards behind the line of scrimmage versus a, a nickel that's just chasing them down and is as good an athlete as anybody on the field. So we couldn't really get to doing anything like that. We're not going to get to the, the triple option type stuff and put our quarterback at risk. Mm-hmm. So our RPO was throwing slants, which is still a good answer versus man. But yes. at the same time, if that's all we do, we're going to get hard inside leverage. So we got to kind of, you know, the picks, the rubs, whatever you want to call it. We call it kind of our attacker series. Mm-hmm. We got to doing a bunch of stuff like that. And then uh, just really mixing up how we did it. You know, whether it was 
two picking for three, three picking for two, going inside, going outside, playing off defensive guys' leverage because if you go to the well one too many times and your only answer is whatever it is, three picking for two, coming on an inside slant, trying to rub it off, well, now they're going to start in and out. They're going to lock you up. Mm -hmm. Um, So we just tried to be pretty versatile in terms of our attacker series, if you want to call it that, or when we're throwing slants, when we're throwing double slant, when we're throwing dragon. And then at the same time, you have to have success in the pass game or they're just going to keep rolling up on you. They're going to beat you up. Uh, they're going to, within five yards, it's just a fist fight in a phone booth. Mm-hmm. Um, so just being able to attack at the right time. And that was a big thing. We were, we felt like we were pretty successful on first down. So second down, we had the freedom to kind of do whatever we wanted. Uh, in certain games, obviously there's games where you're struggling and you're behind the chains and it's pretty obvious what's going on. They don't need to press you. You can't get to your attacker series. You can't throw bubbles. Uh, so in terms of being efficient on first down, getting us in situations where now we can dictate the defense or if they want to play this defense, our quarterback's looking out and giving an adjustment in the pass game. I'm sorry, in the RPO game. So pass concepts, getting us in the right situation. I think that was huge. And uh, the communication between quarterback and receiver from that standpoint was good in, in terms of keeping us in the right situation versus whatever look we're seeing. Coach, I think an, an eye-opener for me when I got to go to Rice was just how much their quarterbacks needed to know about the run game, you know, because that was right. a, an NFL system. So, uh, you know, how much time do you do you guys spend in the quarterback room talking run game and run checks and, and stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time. I mean, we carry less runs into a game than passes, so we're not spending as much time as we are um, in the pass game. But And, and our line coach does a great job when they're putting together the run plan of trying to make it as simple as possible without putting a million kills in. We don't want our quarterback going to the line on every single play thinking through something. We have plenty of runs that are just call it, run it, runs. So regardless of what we're getting, this plays good versus all. We have enough of those to where – our quarterback's not just mentally exhausted by the time he, we're getting to the fourth quarter. Right. But we spend plenty of time on it. I mean, we have to. We have to go through all sorts of looks of what's going to cause us to kill a play. Maybe we don't even have a, a kill. We just have an alert. So the quarterback's the only – he's really the only one that uh, will know going in, hey, if you get this, you got to get to this play. Well, we're not going to spend our time talking to everybody on the offense about this play and needing to kill it versus this look. We're just going to spend our time with the quarterback. If this is, we've seen this look out of these guys one time. If you see it, it's going to look like this. You know, here's going to be your indicator for it. We got to get to this right now. But that stuff, we we have to exhaust the run game with those guys. Those guys are heavily involved in that. Um, you can't just be a vessel. It can't be a playoff. It can't be line up and hand the ball to the back. You know, you got to get us in the right situation. And so those guys, we spend tons of time. I mean, I I don't know if I could put an hour amount on it, but we spend tons of time going through the run game because that's a huge part of our success. Coach, Coach, talk a little bit about having, you know, guys like Carson Wentz, guys like Nick Foles, you know, who, who came in and obviously was the, the Super Bowl MVP. And then obviously, you know, you got a, a developmental guy like Sofeld. You know, explain a little bit about, you know, what, what it's like for those guys in the room. You know, what, what's it like to coach those guys? What kind of dudes they are? I think our listeners would love to hear that. Yeah, um, our room, man, I can't say enough good things about our room. It's really a special group to have the the three guys we have. uh, Obviously, incredibly talented guys. You know, um, we have a Super Bowl MVP. Nick was also a Pro Bowl MVP. He has cleats in the Hall of Fame from a seven-touchdown game in Oakland. Um, And he's our backup quarterback. So, you know, I don't think there's a lot – I don't think there's a lot of rooms around the league that have that. And then we have Carson Wentz, who's – you know, 25 years old, just scratching the surface of what he's going to be. Um, and really all three of those guys attack everything. So it challenges you as a quarterback coach. To, they're going to have questions. They're going to have great questions. Um, they're all over things. They want to know more. They want to get – their number one goal is to get better. So those guys work their tail off. They set the standard for our entire building, honestly, our building. Like our coaches come in, our quarterbacks are in there in the morning working. Uh, the personnel guy walks to the door. Our quarterbacks are in. They have their own office upstairs in the coaches. So they have their own office. They're in there at 5.30 in the morning on a Tuesday in season, grinding it out. Uh, they come through with their notebook of, hey, we've got these ideas. We've got these questions. How do you see this? 
So the way those guys work and prepare and then take it to the practice field, it carries over. They attack every single rep. They're leaders in everything we do. Um, it's awesome. I mean, it truly is. The, the standard for the Philadelphia Eagles right now, I feel like, is our quarterback room. Uh, the way those guys attack, the way those guys work, and just the type of people they are. Um, they're they're great teammates. They're gonna, they're not they're never going to say one word about themselves. They are just as happy to talk about one another to give all the credit to their teammates. Um, and then that rubs off on guys. You know, when when you're I'm not saying Carson is our best player. He's one of our best players. But when one of your best players is one of your hardest workers, when your backup quarterback can come in and lead your team to the Super Bowl, become Super Bowl MVP, and then is the most humble guy uh, throughout the whole offseason, which has just been wild for him, going to Disney World, being on Ellen, all this stuff. Um, and then they all show up day one of the offseason program after missing a month of their offseason to play in the playoffs. They all come back. We get through day one. Our day one install is our formations and motions, and those guys um, – they basically need new pens because they've run out of ink writing down notes on wow. the day one formations. I mean, it, it's incredible. And you can see why those guys are successful. They continue to push each other, but they support each other uh, as well as anybody I've ever been around. So it, it's a special group, and it's fun to be around those guys. That's what I was going to say. One of the most impressive parts to me, and it's in the NFL, it seems like, in, in total, but especially with that room, is that you know you do have two really good quarterbacks, and one's going to have to be the starter, one's going to be the backup, where a lot of times in college you see just a kid transfer, you know, where yeah. I get there's contracts and there's different stuff like that, but it, it's, it seems really cool just to see what that quarterback room is, those guys supporting each other and, and working with each other. And like you said, they come together sometimes. Uh, talking about certain plays and, and like game planning uh, together almost. Oh, absolutely. They they love being around each other. As we're going through the draft process, they, you know, guys come up, we're, we're evaluating everybody because you have to at all times. So we're looking through the top guys in the draft. And, you know, there are guys that, hey, if, if you'll get the scenario sometimes, hey, if everything falls through and we're sitting there, somehow we're at number two, do you want this quarterback? And it's like, no, I mean, I don't think that guy fits our room right now. I don't think that guy's going to make this room better. And and it's different, too, because the backup or your third-string quarterback, they're obviously working for their career to extend their career. But at the same time, you have to have that understanding of our franchise quarterback is our starting quarterback. Like, everything we need to do, everybody needs to be supporting this guy. So there's an element of, you know, Nick and, Nick and Nate are two of the hardest workers in the building. Um, but at the same time, they're right there for Carson. If, if Carson's got questions on something, they're going to be the first two to help him out as opposed to seeing themselves as competing against this guy. It's all about the team. It's all about mm. helping everybody get better. And it's just – there's a selflessness to it. There's a servant leadership to it that these guys have uh, and just a humility that these guys have, which is just – it's fun to be around. Like I said, I, I can't stress that enough. Just seeing these guys work and support each other is awesome. I got to imagine that that just kind of rubs off on the entire, you know, organization, you know, between coaching staff, defense, special teams, all, all that stuff. I bet that stuff, I mean, once they see the, the guy making all the money doing that, I mean, naturally just kind of falls in line, I would imagine. Absolutely. I mean, like I was saying, our quarterback room, I feel like, sets a standard for the organization. Now, we have a ton of guys, Malcolm Jenkins, Jason Peters, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson, Zach, you know, we have all these guys that attack yeah. everything. They're all great leaders, but it all comes down to our, our best people, our best players are our best people. These are guys that are out in the community. These are guys that are in early. They stay late. Uh, they're all about their teammates. They're all about other people. They're all about everybody else in the building. You know, we have marketing. We have administration. We have human resources. All these guys, they treat all these people like gold. And, uh, you know, I think that that comes back to the way these guys show up on the field. You know, you can count on them to show up in the building. Uh, if we have an 8 a.m. meeting, well, these same guys you can count on to be there on third down when they need to be in their gap, when they need to be at their depth. Uh, I think that all that all ties together. So it's it's awesome, and I think that was part of the reason we were able to have the season we were, we were able to have. Coach, switching gears just a little bit because you you did uh, mention as far as you know scouting these these college players and and it's you know up and around the draft time, but. You know, there's movies out like Draft Day, and it, it portrays all yeah. these crazy ways that, that 
uh, pro coaches go into um, scouting some of these college players? Is it really all that it's made out to be right now, kind of in the media, or is it a little bit overblown? Uh, yeah, I think it's overblown. Um, now, the one thing is you don't know what everybody's going to do. For the most part, we have a general idea of what we think will happen, uh, but you're never sure. So you kind of – there's plenty of the stuff where we go through scenarios all the time. Hmm. Hey, so-and-so wants to trade you this for this. Now you're at pick 12 as opposed to 32. Who do you want? Whatever it may be. We go through that. But like draft day, they basically crammed three months into like one day on the draft. You know, I think they went in, hey, research this guy. What do you know about this guy? Well, we've had scouts on these guys' campuses for a year. They know these guys inside and out. Uh, Our coaching staff, we've been able to spend time with these guys through the combine, through visits where they come to our campus, maybe private workouts on their campus. Uh, So we know these guys. We feel like we know these guys really, really well. Um, do we? No, probably not. I mean, do you know anybody in three months? No, but and then that's why I think you see uh, the success rate is not as high as we would all like it to be because a lot of it comes down to intelligence and intangibles, and that's one of the hardest things to evaluate with these guys. But it's kind of like speed dating. Uh, but I think the movies obviously they sensationalize a little bit, but it's because it makes a great movie. So I get that. That's right. <laughs> um, but we've got a lot of boots on the ground in terms of doing research on who these guys are, we feel like. And, and again, a lot of these guys, even the guys that are highly successful or are considered bust, a lot of them, if they went to a different situation, it may not be like that. You know, they, some of these guys are unfortunate uh, in the cir- circumstances they get put in. They went to a team that was not built for that position to have success, whether that was a rookie, whether that was a veteran, whatever it may be. Sure. Um, so it's hard to see sometimes because you feel like, hey, if we got our hands on that guy, he could have had a better career than he had. Or if that guy would have just gone to this situation, he would have been better there. But that's hard to see at times, and I think that kind of contributes to the the bust rate or the success rate, whatever that whatever that is. So, but like you like you're asking about the process is a little it, it can be a little crazy. Um, but I wouldn't say it's as hectic as some of those movies make out to be. <laughs> who, are, who are some of the biggest uh, freaks you've probably seen, Press, you know, whether it's, it's scouting guys in college or guys you've, you've seen in the NFL or guys you've had to game plan for? You know, who'd, who'd be on your short list of, of NFL freaks that you've seen? Um, Aaron Donald, Von Miller are the first two to pop out. Just, you know, obviously spending time offensive game planning through the week. Uh, was fortunate enough to be here when Michael Vick was here. I remember, wow. I'll never forget, Mike, Mike, watching Michael Vick line up and race LaShawn McCoy, and LaShawn will say it's not true, but Michael, <laughs> Michael, however old he was at the time, beat LaShawn in a foot race, uh, 20-yard race, 40-yard. I don't even remember what it was, but uh, seeing Michael Vick, who is just a living legend, especially for somebody my age, grew up watching him at Virginia Tech and seeing the things he did when he was with the Falcons. Uh, that guy's just a physical freak. Yes. Um, some of the linemen you see, like Lane Johnson. Lane Johnson's a monster. <laughs> um, trying to think. Von Miller and Aaron Donald definitely stand out. Their tape is just unbelievable. Calais Campbell, you know, he's 6'9", whatever he is. He's, to, to make everybody look as small as he does in the NFL when you stand next to these guys and these guys aren't little guys, a guy like that's pretty amazing. Coach, you, you kind of uh, yeah. hit on – you kind of hit on, um, you know, you guys using pin and pull, and you also hit on Lane Johnson and, and Kelsey at, at center. So you've, you've obviously, obviously got really athletic uh, offensive linemen. Is that kind of – did that play into you guys wanting to run pin and pull as having offensive linemen? Or did you guys – you know, you wanted to run pin and pull, and so you drafted, picked up in free agency guys that were athletic enough to do it? That's a good question. Um I think it was more we're, we're trying to get guys that – I don't know if we necessarily had this is what we need out of this guy. Now, if you look at us right now, we have really athletic tackles. Uh, we have kind of the big mauler types at guard. And then our center is – he's got to be the best athletic offensive lineman in the league. And Agreed. at the same time, he's, maybe he's the smartest stud. offensive lineman in the league. The personnel we have, I think, benefits that. Um that's a good question. If we purposely went out and built it like that, um, if we did, I don't think I was part of that discussion. 
<laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it's worked out pretty well that way. Yes, it has. And, yeah. So, yeah, Wait. I mean, they, they definitely have an ideal uh, what a position attribute for each guy. So this is what our, right, our, our offensive line coach envisioned our right tackle looking like. Lane Johnson, uh, right guard being Brandon Brooks. You know what I mean? Like they've gone through, this is what I want at this position. And that's right. usually based on what our offensive line coach sees uh, through his experiences, what he feels like is needed to be successful at that position. So it's worked out it, that way. Is is he more of a pin pull guy rather than a, a wide zone guy? Is that is that kind of his deal or is that just kind of part of the, the whole scheme deal? I think that's part of kind of kind of part of the scheme because Okay. Oh, man, our offensive line coach has been coaching football for 40 years. Every time we bring up a play, he'll say, oh, yeah, we did that at Michigan State in 1993. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's been a, I think he's been around the game enough, like a lot of offensive line coaches, where they've been a part of everything. Yeah. Now he has things he probably likes more than others, but and it's going to be based on scheme. It's going to be based on what we have offensively. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't know if I would hang my hat on saying he's a pin and pull guy as opposed to a – gap guy or whatever it is yeah because i think he's honestly he's been around since uh they've run everything feels like <laughs> you just t- you just tell me how to block it we'll block it <laughs> exactly he's denver johnson we, we both were around denver so yeah you, there you go. whatever you want he's gonna be able to block it so. <laughs> you just tell me what you want bill we'll block the son <laughs> bitch <laughs> all right brown shoe if you want <laughs> it's great Coach, you know, I, I've heard, obviously, from a lot of NFL guys that kind of talk protection and stuff. A, a lot of times it comes back to, you know, two and three jet and, and some of that stuff. So you hear a lot of the same lingo around a bunch of the different NFL teams. Is it ever difficult? And I know it's it's their job, so maybe it's not. But is it ever difficult you get a guy in that maybe they don't use the same lingo and, and now they kind of contradict with what you guys are saying, so you have to almost reteach them a new set or – is there enough stuff in the NFL that, that's kind of called the same thing that when they roll into your offense, they're, they're kind of ready for it and used to it? I think for the most part, uh, the guys that have been around the league long enough have a pretty good idea, whether it's two or three jet protection, uh, all go special. There's certain concepts that guys are pretty familiar with. Now, it, it may be for a lot of places learning a different language. Um, so it's Chinese here at the Eagles, it's Spanish uh, here at the Browns, whatever it may be. So these guys, are they're, they're having to translate, and there are some words that probably sound the same, and maybe it's exactly the same. Um, I would bet there's crossover in most of these systems where these guys, the core concepts at least they recognize. Now, the details are always different. Everywhere we go, you know, a guy ran, yeah, we ran this play. Well, I ran that route at 12 yards. Here you're asking me to run it at 14. So so there's an aspect of it where, yeah, they remember some things, but they have to clean up the details or they have to, ultimately, they have to get on our language. So we speak Eagle. They have to get on Eagle uh, for them to really be successful. Now, they may be able to make it by thinking, Oh, and Cincinnati, we called it this. So I, as long as every time they call this play, I'm going to think of this. Well, that's going to get you part of the way there. But for you to really be successful in the situation you're in now with us, you're going to have to speak Eagle and learn it the way we learn it and really get into the details of it. But I think it gives guys a, a fighting chance at least because there is carryover throughout the league. Well, that's one thing that uh, me and Brady have talked about, and it's really it's been Brady that, that's talked the most about it. But the thing that's impressive, it sounds like you talk about an eagle, eagle language, and then it's kind of the same thing it seems like with Belichick as far as it, it's kind of his language, it's Patriot language, and it sounds like the same with the Eagles where now if you have to bring in a new coordinator, new offense coordinator, new defense coordinator, your whole team doesn't necessarily have to learn something new. They kind of learn what the eagle language is. And then he, you know, the, the coordinator learns what the Eagle language is and, and puts his own spin on things. But now the whole yeah. team doesn't have to learn something new. And, and you've seen that, you know, like a guy like Belichick be successful being able to roll in a bunch of different guys and, and it not change what's going on with his team. Right. And, and obviously, if you can bring in one coach, the, it's a lot easier than teaching, say, 25 guys on defense a new language if the one coach is willing to adapt and, like you said, he's going to put his own spin on things, but to keep things 
quick and keep things simple for the players, it's best if you can keep it in their language. Now, you're going to make changes because that's what we all do, but as long as you're doing it for with the outcome being the best possible outcome, not the easiest possible outcome, then I think you're putting yourself in a good position, putting your players in a good position, which is the most important thing. Press, kind of getting back to you, man. I know, obviously, you're just getting the new job and you're excited to, to go off and do that, you know, but what do you think some of your, your long-term plans are? I mean, are you looking to, to hopefully stay in the NFL, call some plays, be a coordinator someplace, maybe be a head coach? maybe get back into college. I guess kind of want to pick your brain as to kind of what you're thinking. I know you're living in the moment there, but all this kind of dream ahead a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, I'm open to anything. I I would be the happiest person in the world to sign a 10-year contract and with the Philadelphia Eagles being the quarterback coach and working with Carson Wentz and these guys that we have right now. Yes, please. Um, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'll take that deal right now. But, uh, yeah, I think I'd, I'd love to become a coordinator and kind of break out and put together all the ideas that I've been exposed to or even just seen on film and put together my offense, whatever that looks like. But like you said, I'm living in the moment. My job's to do whatever I can to make the Philadelphia Eagles better. Uh, so that's what I'm going to do for as long as they'll let me do it. Um, but I'm open to whatever. I, I'm open to going back to college. I think that's fun. I, I think there's a lot of creativity allowed in college I love watching some of these college offenses and things they're doing and the stress they're putting on defenses I've really enjoyed watching defenses this past year in college as I uh, get to evaluate some of these quarterbacks some of the defenses people are coming out with uh, particularly what pops to mind is like Iowa State and TCU kind of that five flat DBs thing that it showed up a couple times as I watched some quarterbacks in the Big 12 I think that's really cool uh, and that's pretty cool to see the progression in terms of how they're they're attacking now these RPO schemes. And so I look forward to seeing what offenses are going to do next year to attack that type of look on defense. Um, so the, the college game is very appealing. Obviously, there's a lot more options in terms of places to live if you work in college, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to 32 cities in the NFL. And then I, w- I would never say no to high school. I mean, you know, the right situation, I'm a huge fan of Oklahoma high school football, obviously, from my time there. Um, and, and somewhere down the line, maybe I'd love to be a part of that again. Uh, nothing better than Friday Night Lights, no matter what. Uh, maybe the Super Bowl. That might be a little bit better. <laughs> I was about to say. I, I was going to say, dude, yeah. the su- uh, you know, Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, big parade, kissing the Lombardi <laughs> trophy. Come on, man. Yeah, maybe that's a little different. But still, there's, there's something about Friday Night Lights. That, that, that's kind of the, the roots of football. And so – yeah, I guess I guess what I'm saying is I'm open to anything in the world. Um, just kind of want to coach ball. I want to be in the best situation for my family. I want to be able to watch my kids grow up. Uh, so whatever situation lends to all of that, then I'm, I'm open. I'm all ears. Coach, obviously there's other coaches that are, are looking to you and they, they see a guy that was a GA, a non-paid GA at Tulsa, now, now coaching in the NFL, a quarterback's coach. So um, – what's some advice maybe that you could give some guys? I know one thing that you said that was awesome to me was, you know, Blankenship gave you a shot to meet with them and, and you didn't wait to schedule a time. You were just there the next day really early. So obviously um, grinding it out and just going to work. But what are, what are some maybe some good advice to give to a guy that, that says he wants to be a really good coach and, and move up the ladder, whatever that means to him? Yeah. Yeah, I think as a young guy, it was just huge for me just to be around guys that obviously had a lot more experience uh, than I had. Um, so really being in the room, sitting around the table with Coach Blankenship, Denver Johnson, Scott Downing, guys that had just done it when I was at the University of Tulsa, um, sitting around and just soaking up their knowledge, asking them questions, asking them about the experiences they've had, being able to learn from their experiences. Uh, obviously, I'm a younger guy. I don't have as much experience as some of those guys. I love to sit and watch film. So a lot of my ideas come from stuff I've seen other people do. Uh, as you get older, I think a lot of ideas come from things you've done in the past. So I'm, I'm always trying to make up ground and trying to learn as much as I can. Um, when I was a GA, I, I loved to just sit in the back of the room, keep my mouth shut, and write everything down. And I literally wrote everything down. If somebody said something that maybe I didn't agree with or I thought was great, I'd put it in quotes and put that person's name off to the side. If anybody made a prediction about a, a recruit, I'd write that down. If anybody uh, spit out a nugget about how they used to game plan, I'd write that down. And, and then I got better about collecting my notes, uh, putting my notes in the computer, 
and just trying to learn from every single experience I could. Um, and then ultimately I wanted, I wanted to work hard and be nice to people. I felt mm-hmm. like, uh, if you just work your tail off, you're good to people. Um, people are going to be good to you. People are going to look out for you. Um, and, and that's kind of what you need. I mean, obviously it's a network business. We'd love to say that, uh, the best coaches get the best jobs, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, you got to be in the right situation. You got to at times know the right people. Um, but if you work hard, you're nice to people, you're good to people. Uh, I, I think for the most part, things are going to work out in your favor and you'll, you'll get put in the right situation. The right situation may be on a Super Bowl staff. The right situation may be, uh, working for a coach Blankenship at Owasso high school. You know, every, everybody's perfect situation is different, um, based on their family, based on their needs, based on their goals, whatever that is. But I think the best piece of advice I could give is work hard and be nice to people. Doesn't get much better than that, man. I know working for a guy like, you know, Coach Blankenship, he was kind of the, the epitome of all that. He was he was a good dude yeah. to work for. Um, oh, yeah. La- uh, one of the last things I wanted to ask you, what's it like living in Philly, man? I know that the fans there and stuff, they always talk about <laughs> how brutal it can be. It can be cold and all that. But a lot of the people you actually talk to say they think Philly's the best because it's a sports town and people are just it's crazy great. about it. It is awesome, and and it's it's easy to say that now that we're on the Super Bowl because this place is just <laughs> electric. Right, we get the the Flyers in the playoffs, the Sixers in the playoffs. Uh, this place is just a madhouse. They love telling you we won the Super Bowl, which is great. Um, but but I fully expect too if we go into that home opener, whoever that's against, and we're down at halftime, they're going to boo us, regardless <laughs> that two hours earlier they they dropped a banner. That's what you're going to get with Philadelphia Eagles fans, with Philadelphia fans. So it couldn't be any better. I mean, the the parade was just absolutely wild. More people than you've ever seen in your life. Uh, there were people that were staying along the side of the road holding their great-grandfather's ashes because their great-grandfather wanted to be at the parade when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Stuff like that Wow. Uh, makes Philly just incredible. And then if you've never been to Philly, so you fly in and – 10 minutes from the airport is a sports complex. So at the sports complex, it's one major parking lot. You have the Philly Stadium, which is across the street from Wells Fargo, which is the Flyers and the Sixers. They share it. And yep. then across the street from that is uh, Lincoln Financial, which is our the Eagles Stadium. And then a kind of catty corner to that is our facility, where our practices are. So you really – there are people that park in one spot, whether it's a Phillies game, an Eagles game, or a Sixers game. Uh, so from a sports fan, just atmosphere, it's awesome. There's going to be a point in time in the spring where we have uh, Eagles practice at the stadium, and then there's a Phillies game across the street. So these people are going to come. They're going to tailgate. They're going to go to the Eagles practice, walk across the street, watch the Phillies game. Uh, so so for the, just that environment, it's awesome. These people are as passionate as you can be, which for anybody associated with the team, that's all you can ask for. So it's, it's fun to – it's great to bring a city like this to Super Bowl. That that's that's funny you say that because I actually get to play Temple and we we played it at the Eagle Stadium and that was what I was going to yeah. say was the coolest part to me was there's the the hockey and basketball arena and then baseball and then football and it's all in the exact same spot. I always thought that was so such a really cool thing. Oh yeah, it, it's great and it, it makes for a great environment and like I said, people have their – that's their parking spot. Regardless of the sport, regardless of the team that's playing, that's the, that's the spot they park, that's the spot they tailgate all day. and It, it makes it really cool. There's a lot of tradition, a lot of history with uh, the fans around here. Well, I was going to say with Tulsa, too, now you got you got Boogie up there, too, so I'd imagine you guys be hanging out a little bit as well. Exactly. We've talked about it. We haven't had a chance to get together yet because they, they kind of just got things rolling. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited that Boogie's around here and then – being, you know, Temple, a lot of those guys come through uh, from different spots. There were some guys at SMU I knew in the past that would come up mm-hmm. there and they'd play, and I'd get a chance to go see them either maybe for the game or the night before at least go out and catch them at the hotel. So it's been good to keep in touch with uh, a lot of guys I've worked with or gotten to know in the past. So not too bad. Well, Coach, we, we've kept you on here for an hour, and so, you know, trying to – Obviously, we know you're busy, so trying to let you go. But kind of the last question I ask everybody is, um, and, and you've probably watched more film or as much film as anyone we've ever talked to, but you're watching an offensive line. Uh, what's some things they would be doing or what's something they'd be doing that would make you think really highly of their offensive line coach? Um, I, think, I think you can kind of see the just nastiness on film. 
you can see guys changing the line of scrimmage, finishing plays. You see guys finishing with the sandwich on top of a guy uh, to finish plays. You see guys picking up offensive line or picking up running backs at the end of runs, just around the pile, cleaning up the pile. Uh, I think there's a nastiness that, that shows up on film. Um, and when you can see that, when you sit there as, you know, an, an opposing coach, whatever it may be, and you sit there and watch that and you can say, this is a nasty group. They play with an edge. Uh, I think that's pretty impressive. And I think as an offensive line coach or an offensive coach, that's what you're just dying to see. You're dying to hear someone say about your offensive line. Absolutely, man. If you win the battle up front, you're going to win an awful lot of games. Well, Press, man, it's been awesome getting caught up with you. Um, I'm excited for you. I'm hoping to get up to a game one of these days, so I'm kind of getting jacked sure. to see what, what the schedule is, man. But if I yeah. get an open open weekend or something like that, I'm most definitely going to going to try to come see you, man. I'm I'm proud of you. I think it's I think it's an awesome deal, man. So you got you got a huge fit Eagles fan out here in Iowa. Well, I'm proud of you guys. You guys are doing a great job, and uh, you guys are doing a heck of a favor for just for football coaches, not just football coaches, but coaches in general. I love listening to your podcast, and I have my 20-minute drive to work, or if I'm having a longer drive, it's even better because I get to listen to a full episode at one time. So you guys are doing a great job, and I think I speak for a lot of people when I say thank you. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank our sponsors, Powerlift, Sideline Power, and Team Attack Academy. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.